0: Hello! Thank you for listening to the sermon from our Revive service. We hope it helps you learn more about God and allows you to grow closer to Him and in your faith. Well, good morning. If you have your Bible, please turn with me to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 18. Excited to dig in the Word with you this morning. I want to share with you a little story before we start in. First, I just want to say, it was really neat uh, thought came to my mind as I was looking out, looking at our children kind of in this front row, and it wasn't too many years ago that our, uh, all of our teens would sit up there, and then I look at these little kids, and I think, our teens are gone at snow camp, and here they are in just a few short years. Uh, parents, you blink, and they will be teenagers. I know that's a scary thought, but it's a, it's a great thing, and great to see the kids here, and we love them so much, and glad that they're here and we want to, we'll pray in just a moment. We'll pray for the children's church and for their time with the Lord, that they will grow. And I just want to encourage uh, those of you who have been praying for our wana Clubs, it's going really well. Uh, The consistent uh, uh, coming out of the children and their families and participation is really, really great. And it's just great to hear these kids as they share the word of God learn it. And as they're shared it during the Bible lesson and uh, just getting God's word hidden in their heart. It's just a joy. And so continue to keep praying for our leaders and uh, for our children as well there. Um, let me share with you a story. There's uh, uh, it's, it's a song that you probably know of. Um, I, as part of my devotion, my devotional time, I'm reading through a book. Um, in addition to my time in the Word, it's uh, it has to do with the hymns, and it's the history of some of the hymns. It says, Then Sings My Soul. It's 150 of the World's Greatest Hymn Stories. And so each day I read uh, a little hymn and uh, um, the story of it, and then I kind of just sing that. Um, usually I sing it quietly if I'm at home, so I don't wake up my family, uh, usually because I'm having my time with the Lord before they wake up, but uh, I want to read to you a little bit of a story of a song that you probably heard, probably heard it in a movie or two, um, but it was written in 19 or 1755. Uh, it comes from a passage, Luke 15:10. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So, Monica had 19 children die in infancy. Can you begin to imagine? 19 children, all of them died in infancy. Uh, when number 20 arrived on June 26, 1702, this child, too, he appeared to be stillborn. But by, while being laid aside, he cried out. And Monica determined then and there to raise Philip for the Lord. As a young child, he sat on her knees at the fireplace, which was lined with tiles illustrating the history of the Bible. Using those tiles, Monica taught her son the lessons of Scripture. While he was later orphaned, Philip wrote in his diary, quote, God is an immortal father. My soul rejoices in him. He hath hitherto helped me and provided for me Be my study to approve myself a more affectionate, grateful And dutiful child but you see he was destitute and though he longed to be a minister there seemed no way to afford the necessary education friends advised him to prepare for another profession but before making a final decision Philip set apart a day for an earnest prayer time while he was praying the postman arrived with a letter from a wealthy benefactor offering to finance his training it was such a timely answer that Philip resolved henceforth to live a life of prayer. And he trained himself to pray without ceasing, even while getting washed and dressed in the morning. At age 27, Philip was asked to become the head of a seminary uh, for ministry students in Northampton, England. His health was frail, and he didn't think he was well enough uh, for the new responsibilities. But while passing the house, he overheard a child reading Deuteronomy thirty three twenty five As your days, so shall your strength be. He took it as from God and accepted the call. The reputation of Northampton Academy radiated through England and students flocked there, in part because of Philip's chapel sermons, and powerful prayer. For twenty two years Philip trained students and his books became us readings for the Christians of his day and ours everything okay back there? Okay. By age 48, however, he was exhausted. Um, consummation struck his lungs, and he traveled to Lisbon for therapeutic holiday, and there he passed away on October 26, 1751. Today, Philip is best remembered for his book, The Rise and Progress of Religion in the Soul, and for his collection of nearly 400 hymns, published after his death in 1755, uh, of which included this song. And I want to read to you just a few of the words. How many of you know this song before I even start? Any guesses? Just curious. Okay, good. You're learning something then, right? That makes me feel a little better. You'll know by the first couple words. Oh, happy day. Hmm? Yeah, that's it. O oh, happy day that fixed my choice on thee, my Savior and my God. Well may this glowing heart rejoice and tell it raptures all abroad. O oh, happy day, bond that seals my vows to him who merits all my love. Let cheerful anthems fill this house while to that sacred shrine I move. "'Tis done, the great transaction done. I am my Lord's, and he is mine. He drew me, and I followed on, charmed to confess the voice divine. Happy day, happy day, when Jesus washed my sins away. He taught me how to watch and pray and live rejoicing every day. Happy day, happy day, when Jesus washed my sins away.'" How many of you know that song? Have heard that song? Now you know a little background of that song. It is a happy day. It's a happy day when we think about our lives and we think about what Christ has done for us. Those of us who are followers of Jesus, there is nothing better than to think of that day when Christ, when we accepted Christ and what he did for us. The fact that he died upon the cross took our sin and our shame, our punishment upon himself, the son of God, the son of man, there he stood, being whipped and scourged and then laid upon a cross and thrust in front of all the people there upon the hill of Calvary. He suffered. He bled out. He died. For you and for me. They put him in a tomb, but death could not hold him. He rose three days later and we give our life following him today, trusting that he is truly the Messiah, the Christ. That's what Paul did. Paul had an encounter with the living Jesus and he gave his life to following Jesus and proclaiming that truth to others. It was a glorious day. Oh, happy day when Paul gave his life to Jesus. We're reading this account, uh, as Dr. Luke has recorded for us, of the gospel continuing to go out. But I wanted to simplify here in the very beginning what the gospel is all about. It is a glorious day when there is someone who comes to place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. When we realize that there is nothing better that we could do in order to have a relationship with the eternal God than to place our faith and trust in him. If you haven't done that today, that's the most glorious thing that you could ever do. That will be the happiest day of your life. I've had some wonderful days. God has blessed me with some fabulous days. The greatest few days was getting married to my bride. I still remember seeing her walk down the aisle when those doors opened. And yes, I cried like a baby. It was wonderful. It was wonderful seeing my children born. Now it was a little bit different because each one of them were C-section. So the first one was kind of crazy. Seeing them put a shoehorn in Lisa's stomach and pull out this child. It was like. Plus poor Lene, she was folded in half and breech. And so her legs were up at her ears. It was still a glorious day though. When I held her, that was a great day. I knew what to expect when Marissa came. So when her legs weren't up at her ears, I was like, this is good. And then Zach, those were great days, but when I look back, there is not a better day that I remember than when I trusted Jesus as my Lord and savior, did I fully understand at that young age had no clue. I knew that I needed a savior because I was disobedient and a sinner. And so Mrs. Darlene Massey shared with our class. And all I could do was to think about Tom and Jerry. And Tom was down in hell. And, and, and he had seen Satan. All right. This is a cartoon. All right. Then he had gone back and he had a choice. He was about ready to eat Jerry. He's a cat. Jerry's a mouse. All right. And on each shoulder, one was the an angel and one was the little devil. And as Mrs. Massey shared that simple story of a place in heaven that was saved for me. If I place my faith and trust in Jesus, I thought of that. And I thought, I don't want to go to hell. I don't want to go with that mean guy who has pointy ears and, uh, tail that has, a, a, a something that looked like it could sting you and a pitchfork. Now, whether that was right theology or not, God used it. Did it, did, did it scare me into heaven? No, it scared me into a relationship to realize that this man. Some man had died for me. That's what was amazing. And so Mrs. Massey opened her Bible and she showed me how I could trust Jesus. And I remember being so excited after I prayed. I ran up the steps. And as I ran up the steps, I almost knocked over an older lady. I got in trouble for that. I remember that. But I was so excited to get to my parents and to tell them, the decision that I had made. Oh, glorious day. Oftentimes we can allow so many different things to overwhelm us and to overshadow what we've been given. Paul is communicating the gospel of Jesus Christ and he's not going to stop doing that until God tells him to stop. In this passage in Acts chapter 18, we see that Paul moves to Corinth. He moves from Athens to Corinth. And I think, I think he's getting a little weary. I think he's getting a little tired. We see that as he writes in Corinth, in, in, in his letter in 1 Corinthians, that, that he's becoming a little bit weary. Now, maybe you're weary. Maybe, maybe you're just a little worn down. Let me encourage you. Think back to that day and rejoice, and maybe you sing later later on today with that musical, with Whoopi, Oh Happy Day. Let's pray together before we dig into the word. Lord, we thank you for the day that you saved us. Lord, I'm thankful for that day that I can recount and and remember. Lord, I'm sure there are others who sit here that, that also remember that. There may be some who don't remember a specific day, but they know today that they have given their life to Jesus. And Lord, we rejoice and we're thankful for that, that you have saved us. It's not we who have saved ourselves, but it's because of what Jesus Christ did In the finished work of his sacrifice upon the cross, his death, his burial, and then his resurrection. Lord, may we be reminded today that that is the most glorious day. And there is a day coming where we will be united with our Savior Jesus face to face. But until then, Lord, you've called us to be faithful. You've called us to follow what you've told us and inscribed to us and what you've placed on our minds and on our hearts to be obedient to you. And yet, Lord, I am so thankful that your presence, that you are with us, you've promised to never leave us. Thank you for the reminders that you give us in our life. We need those. And as we look at this text this morning, I pray that it would be an encouragement to our minds and to our hearts as we continue to live our life for as long as you have us here upon this earth. Thank you that you have our days numbered and they're written in a book and that there is nothing that anybody can do that will change that. Not even us, not even ourselves. We can't change that. You have a glorious plan and we know that we can trust you, that we can rely upon you, that you are a good and gracious God who loves us more than anything So, Lord, as we dig into your word, use it for your glory. May it encourage, convict us, lift us up, the Lord, this morning. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus, our Savior, the Christ. Amen. Acts 18. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. He found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy, With his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogues every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. While Silas and Timothy arrived in Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that Christ was Jesus. When they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and he said to them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named uh, Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. But when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal, saying, This man is, persuaded, is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Galeo said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it is a matter of questions about words and names and your own law, see to it yourself. I refuse to be judge of these things. And he drove them from the tribunal. And they all seized Sothen- Sothenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But Galileo paid no attention to any of this. After this, Paul stayed many days longer. Then he took leave of the brothers, and he set sail for Syria. With him, Priscilla and Aquila. When we look at the text this morning, there's a few things that I just want to uh, point out to us and, and dig in. As we see Paul continuing his missionary journey, this is his last stop before he returns back home um, and, and, and goes back to give another report back to his, quote, sending church. And so this is his second missionary journey. This is the conclusion of that. And he this is his last stop on that second missionary journey. So this last stop. Paul goes um, to Corinth. Corinth is a city that maybe you've read about, maybe you know a lot about. It's a city that actually was totally destroyed uh, years before Paul arrived at this time. And uh, because Rome wanted to overtake that. And when Rome overtook that, that kind of ended the the revolt, uh, the Greeks, uh, their revolt against Rome. And so this city was pretty much leveled now uh, the Roman Emperor had rebuilt Corinth, knowing that that it was a place of, of quite importance, especially when it came to ships and to trading and uh, and so a lot of Corinth would have been newer and rebuilt when Paul steps into it at this point. One of the things that, that stands out to me as Paul enters into the city that we know of history is uh, is there 's a big temple that that the uh, the Greeks are worshiping at and, uh, and to one of their gods. And it, what it led to was a lot of prostitution. And so some other historical writers write about this, uh, this temple that has these prostitutes. And so part of your worship to this god was to go in and to have relations with these prostitutes that would honor the god. Crazy to me, right? Um, but it 's amazing how Satan can uh, twist the minds of people. Paul comes to this and and we read some of the accounts of how he is striving and desiring for that early church in Corinth to grow. We see some of that We read some of that in first Corinthians and second Corinthians in those two letters that gives us a picture of what Paul was doing as he is sharing the gospel this This is a section, this is a time where actually Paul is going to spend his longest period of time in one city, in Corinth. And so he really is setting up a long-term discipleship program. You know, there are some who who say, well, discipleship should just be really quick. Others who say it takes a lifetime. I do believe it takes a long time as we disciple one another. And uh, we see that here. This is a good account. Where Paul stays for uh, for several for a year and, and six months for several months he's here teaching, training, continuing to proclaim the gospel and teaching the church. And as he's there, he also stays a little bit longer beyond that uh, that one year and six months because uh, at that time you know, we see an event that takes place. But then it says in verse eighteen, after this, Paul stayed many days longer. And so, Paul was here for a long time. He had a deep uh, devotion and a deep heart, passion for the people in Corinth. So, let's dig into a little bit of what what we see in some of these characters, because some of these are pretty critical, and we'll actually be able to reference them in some other letters that we have in the Bible as well. So, the first that we see in verse 2, he says, He found a Jew named Aquila, uh, who had come from Italy with his wife Priscilla. And they had left Rome because, why? Because all the Jews were commanded to leave Rome. And so here, uh, um, Aquila and Priscilla had moved. What probably took place is Priscilla and Aquila heard the gospel message while they were in Rome. They moved to Corinth and Paul intersects with them. As it has, a, has a, a conversation with them, and he he went to see them and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and he worked for they were tent makers by trade. What he finds out is they 're followers of Christ, and so in that that opportunity, they also are of the same uh, occupation as him they 're tent makers and so he, he forms a strong bond with them, to, even to the point where when he leaves Corinth, what we see in verse 18 is um, they go with him. And so they're going to travel, and they're actually going to be uh, disciplers uh, of, of Jesus and used in different ways as they continue to move. Not only did they move from Italy to Corinth, but then as they uh, hear what Paul is doing and how God is using Paul, they will then travel and be instruments with Paul for the gospel what we also see here is what we've seen as Paul has gone all along. And that is, as he preaches the gospel, teaches the gospel, as he teaches about who Jesus is, that he is the Messiah, the Christ. He starts in the synagogues. And so verse three, or verse four, it says he reasoned in the synagogues every Sabbath, and he tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. I was having a conversation with Rick see a few weeks ago, and, and he brought up a good point, and, and that was when Paul enters into um, these synagogues, Paul has a certain authority to him. Remember who he is. He is a, the, a Pharisee. He, he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, meaning he was the upper echelons of a teacher, and he had a training and an understanding of what the law was. So when Paul came to a synagogue, in a way he was, he had an entitlement because of his position uh, in the Jewish synagogues and his training to be able to come and be a guest speaker. And so that uh, allowed Paul to come and to, to reason with the Jews as he was sharing in these synagogues. So every Sabbath we see here in Corinth, he's trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. Now, uh, Dr. Luke helps us to see, again, as we've seen all along, these Greeks are God-fearing Greeks who are in the synagogues. They come uh, loving God, and so in doing that, they, there is something about the Jews that they see that captivates their heart. And so they're in the synagogues and, along with the Jews. And and so as Paul is explaining the gospel and who the Christ is, um, the Jews, some of them accept it. Some of the Greeks accept it. Some of them do not, though. So verse 5 tells us, uh, gives us a little insight about Silas and Timothy. Remember, uh, they Paul was waiting for them in uh, in Athens. They came, and before Paul left uh, Athens again, he sent them back to the churches in Macedonia to, to get a report on how those churches were doing. So now uh, uh, Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, uh, yeah, but what, what's going on? Dr. Luke helps us to see. Again, his wording is is interesting here as he shares with us. Uh, Silas and Timothy arrive, but Paul's busy. And so they're going to give the report of these churches, but Paul has a fixation on doing what? Of sharing the gospel. Says so, so Paul was occupied with the word testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, your blood be upon your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I go to the Gentiles. So it's kind of like this. Okay, here's Silas and Timothy. They're going to report. They're coming into town. Uh, They're going to give Paul their report. And it's almost like Luke uh, is, is giving us this picture that they walk into the synagogue. They see Paul... Uh, sharing about the Christ and as they're witnessing and seeing what's going on uh, the, the Jews are just rejecting what what Paul is saying and so there's this picture that okay you've just arrived right Paul's going to say hey good to see you guys no he's busy all right and what they see their first their first uh, observation is this this uh, encounter that that Paul that Paul says, okay, enough's enough, and he draws a line in the sand. And so he says this, he says, um, he shakes out his outer garments, and so in doing so, I think it's a a reference back to Matthew 10, uh, verses uh, 14 and 15, when Jesus, as he sent out the disciples, and as they were to go from city to city, um, proclaiming the good news, those who rejected them, they would wipe off the, the sand, the dust off of their shoes, and move on to the next city. And it, would, it gives a reference almost to to a curse. Well, what's that curse reference to? Well, actually, I think as Paul is saying this, again, he is the teacher of the law. And so he's referencing back to Ezekiel. And so you might want to make a little note there in your Bible, uh, your blood be upon your heads. That phrase actually comes from Ezekiel 33, verse 4 and so ezekiel 33 verses 1 through 7 what we see is is the prophet is to share share about the coming judgment and for those israel to repent and turn back to the living god and if he doesn't then judgment be upon him his his blood will be poured out but there's a call for the people to accept it and as the people reject it uh Um, The Lord says, your blood be upon your own head. And the prophet would then be innocent because he has proclaimed the message. And so you've rejected it. So Paul, in this setting, is calling back the law that that the Jews would know. And he's referencing them in a way that they probably did not like, which infuriates them even more. So he says, you know what? You're going to reject me? I'm done with you. I'm going to the Gentiles. Now, this does not mean that Paul is done with the Jews forever. This is this, I believe this is a section where Paul is saying, the Jews at this place, in this synagogue, for this time, I, I'm no longer coming to you anymore. I'm going to go speak to the, to the Greeks. So what he does is fascinating in how God does this. And, and it, it, it's just cool how God works. So what he does is he left there, verse 7, and he went to the house of a man named uh, Titus Justus, a worshiper of God. So this isn't the same Titus that we have the letter Titus written to. This is a different Titus. But, what we do know about him is what Dr. Luke records for us, which is fascinating. this next sentence it says, "His house was next door to the synagogue, so you know what Paul does? He says, "Okay, you don't want to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ I'm going next door, and so he goes right next door. so not only does Paul in infuriate them using the law of and what the prophets and what Ezekiel is saying um as their judgment, but also too, he just goes right next door and says, "Okay, I'm going next door, and I'm I'm going to continue to share this message." And so, how this must have infuriated the Jews, the religious leaders of the synagogue at that time. Now, what we do see is something really, really cool. When Paul goes next door, he's not alone. Verse eight says, uh, "Crispus." the ruler of the synagogue believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And actually you might want to again, make a little note there in first Corinthians one verse 14. We see as Paul is mentioning who he baptizes. Crispus is part of that list here that Crispus and his household were ones that he had baptized. So the religious leader of the synagogue goes with Paul. So Paul storms out of the synagogue, says, I'm done with you. And you know who follows him? The leader of the synagogue. And you know where they go? Next door. It's pretty cool. And it wasn't just Crispus, it was his entire household. And then Dr. Luke helps us to see, and many of the Corinthians heard Paul, believed, and were baptized. So Paul sharing He's proclaiming the gospel. There are people who are responding. People who are responding to following Jesus. What has happened up until this point, um, we've seen uh, a continuation. It's something that Dr. Luke kind of records for us in a way that we would kind of miss if it wasn't for this section, this next section. When Paul comes to a city... He proclaims the gospel. He starts in the synagogues. And as he proclaims the gospel, there are some Jews who accept. There are some god-fearing Greeks who accept. There are other Gentiles who believe who are part of that city. But usually what happens is Paul gets run out of a city. He's either thrown in jail, he's either they try to capture him. But there is some kind of persecution over and over and over again, we see from city to city to city, where after Paul sees this revival of people accepting Jesus and trusting him as the Messiah, where Paul isn't able to stay long term. That's why he sends Silas and Timothy back to Macedonia, because he wasn't able to continue to, to to disciple them and to help them in their faith. He has a passion for them to continue to grow. There's something different here about Corinth, though. And so that's where this is a different city because of how God is going to use Paul. God has something different planned. So let's look at it. It says in verse 9, The Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent. Why would Paul be afraid? Because of what he continually happens. He knows what the pattern is. It's like, After seeing all these people believe and trust the Christ, he knows what's next. Yet here's the Lord who has come to him and given him a promise. He said in verse 10, I am with you and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. Oh, how wonderful that must have been. What peace that must have given Paul as he has seen the work of the Lord and the spirit of God working in people's lives. And so here's a test, though. And it's almost like Dr. Luke records this right on the heels of this promise for a reason. And it helps us as a reader to understand that God fulfills his promises. And so we see in verse 11 that Paul stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God amongst them. Again, Dr. Luke helping us to see that God was faithful to his word. Paul didn't get run out of the city in just a few short weeks. No, he stayed long term. Here's the the microscope. What happened underneath, though? A little bit deeper that Dr. Luke helps us to see. And I think it points back to the promise that God gave Paul. I think that's why he records it here. Out of all the things that Dr. Luke could have recorded, I think he recorded this for us so that we can see that God is faithful to his word, that he has his presence with us. Verse 12. When Galileo, Galileo was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal. And so they bring Paul before the Roman authority, and they accuse him. What do they accuse him? They say, this man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. Okay? The Jewish law and custom. Paul is preaching against that. He's teaching against that. Which is good in that sense that okay here is 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 Paul preaching against the the law of the Lord but he's not preaching against the law of the Lord this this accusation is being brought so it's against the law of the land too but Galileo sees right through their facade it's not against the roman law it's this It says the men were persuading people, or that this man, Paul, verse 13, is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, we'll come back to this in a minute, Galeo said to the Jews, if it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it is a matter of questions about words and names in your own law, See, they wanted to make it about the Roman law, but he sees through that and he says, no, this is about your own law. Since it's about that, see to it yourselves, he said. I refuse to be a judge of these things. And so he drove them from the tribunal. What's interesting here is not just what this ruler says, but also what happens to Paul. Paul's standing on trial, and Paul is about to open his mouth to give a reason and give uh, an account for what has gone on. But Paul, before he can get a word out of his mouth, God moves this pagan uh, Roman ruler to defend him. Why is that critical and important? Because of the promise that God just gave him. He says, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do, do not be silent, for I am with you. And no attack, no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. So not only is God using his people, but he's using a Roman authority to protect Paul. Paul doesn't even have to open his mouth and God works, because God is true to his promises. what's cool is when we see this promise that the lord gave in verse 10 it reminds me of elijah's encounter uh, with the lord back in 1st kings 19:18 when god promises elijah that he's not the last one left he's not the only one who is worshiping the true and living lord now there's 7000 others in jerusalem who have not bowed their knee to the pagan idols, which then Paul also references over in Romans chapter 4, which I think is pretty cool. I don't know uh, if Dr. Luke, as he writes this and records this in the words of the Lord, if this is bringing back Elijah and that story, but we know Paul knew the story of Elijah because he writes about it in Romans chapter 4, in verse, Romans chapter 11, verse 4 where he says this, he says, but what is God's reply to him? To who? To Elijah, the Lord, they've killed all your prophets, they've demolished your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. God's reply to him, I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by Grace. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be called grace. Paul knew the story. And I wonder if, as he went from city to city, if he wondered uh, becoming worn down and God knew he needed a word. And so his word was this. Don't be afraid You keep doing what I've told you to do. Keep speaking keep preaching the gospel message. Do not be silent. Why? Because I'm with you and I'm not going to allow anybody to harm you because I have many in this city who are my people. Those weren't just Jews that the Lord talks about. These were Jews and Greeks. God's people, as God is reminding Paul, this period in time were both Jews and Greeks. What do we see then as this section closes? Well, we see this man uh, um, Sothenes. Sothenes is interesting because what we see is he is the ruler of the synagogue. Now, this is hard to kind of digest. This is my take on it, okay? Okay. You dig in, you you see, uh, you come up with your own opinions and your own uh, beliefs on this. What we see earlier is that Crispus was the ruler of the synagogue, right? So as he leaves and he goes next door with Paul, as they as they start this church in Corinth, there needs to be a new ruler of the synagogue, and so this new ruler that's elected is Saithinus, or. Sothenes. I keep getting it wrong. Sothenes. Huh? Say it, honey. Sothenies. Sothenies. Like soft knees. Sothenies. I know I'm crazy. I told you that last week. Sothenies. So they see sothenes whos who is who. He's the ruler of the synagogue. He just was elected leader. He probably went along with this revolt, bringing Paul before the, the, the Roman authority. And as he leads them, what happens? It says they all seize Sothenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and they beat him in front of the tribunal. Now, who did this? There's the debate. Are these the Jews who, who got him and seized him and beat him? Probably not. All right. I don't think it's probably them. It could have been. Uh, it was probably the Greeks who had said, why are you wasting our time? Get out of here. Because what we see is, Galileo paid no attention to any of this. He kind of turned his head and said, okay, this isn't even worth my time. I'm not going to give any attention to it. What we see about S- Sothanes or whoever he, he is, Sophnes. As we see about Soft Knees, he is a critical player later because in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 1, we see his name. What do we know about him? Well, Paul starts his first letter to Corinth, this place where he's at, with with this greeting. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Soft Knees. There he is. So something dramatically happens in this man's life. He must fall on his knees and accept Jesus as the Christ. It's pretty cool. There's a lot packed in this little section, isn't there? Verse 18 says, after this, Paul stayed many days, and then he took leave of the brothers. He set sail for Syria with him, Priscilla and Aquila. I'll let Pastor Ed take on the rest for next week as he shares with you the word of God. As we walk away today, I want to encourage you in a couple things. First, the day that you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, is it still a glorious day in, in your perspective? Have you lost sight of that? Don't lose sight of that because that's what that's what drives us. That's where we see the grace of God pouring over our lives that we could that we would be called what what Paul says in Romans 11 that remnant that there is a group of people who God has called to who have placed their faith and trust in him. And as his children as God's children, he has given us his promises and he's given us His presence. So this week, as you go throughout your different struggles, the different battles that will take place, God's already won them. He will allow things to take place that will not make sense to you, but they're part of his divine and great plan. So regardless of how they they may not make sense, regardless of how wonderful and great they may appear, They're part of God's plan so that others may see his glory and so that others may trust Jesus as their savior. We're called to live as lights, as ambassadors for Jesus. We're not left here alone. Oftentimes we forget that. So this week, as the Lord reminded Paul, as he's seen the working of the Lord, and he fears the... The, the coming of this persecution. We, we see that because Paul writes about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 3, I believe it is, where he says that we didn't come with, with this lofty speech. We came with fear, trembling. So Paul's presenting the gospel in Corinth here with fear. But the Lord gives him a promise. Listen, I'm with you. And no one's going to harm you. We have those same promises today. What can man do to us? For those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, what can man do to us? They can't separate us from our Lord. They cannot steal our joy unless we allow them. There is nothing that can separate us from the love of our God. Will you pray with me? Lord, thank you for your goodness. Thank you that we can rely upon Your word to be true. Lord, thank you for this opportunity to open up your word. And Lord, um, you are worthy of our life. And we, we need to continually be reminded we are people who quickly forget, Lord. And so may your mercy and grace be rich upon us. May we be quick to call upon your name. To know that in your name we are saved. It's not our name. It's not in our own doing. But Lord, uh, you've not promised us an easy life. You've not promised us a life without troubles or trials or hardships. But Lord, you've told us that if we call upon your name that we will be saved. Lord, only you provide peace that endures forever. Only you provide salvation. Only you provide eternity in your presence. Lord, may we lift you high. May we ever keep you before us this this day and this week ahead and the days ahead. Help us to be faithful to you, walking with you, seeking you, trusting you, and obeying you. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.